My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Satya from Paris, France. We talk a little bit about personal horror and how he likes to run his games. We also talk about running one-on-one games, so one, uh, one player, one game master. And then we talk a little bit about moving the camera and different ways to describe scenes, as well as how the storytelling in-game works. And we also cover a pretty big topic over the course of the episode, which is this little tool called Player Impressions that he uses A very interesting technique, um, something that I'm hoping to steal for future games myself. And then finally, to end off the episode, we talk about a couple of games that he is working on that he has published that you can actually pick up most of them for free. Um, One of them also has a paid option. So stick around to the very end to find out more about those. Remember that we do have a design competition currently going on today is the last day to get your submissions in so if you haven't submitted anything throw something together get that added to the submission list there is a link in the description of the episode so make sure you follow that go uh, fill out the prompts and you should be good to go and we will be announcing the winner of the episode next week I'll also be packaging all of the submissions into a nice little PDF that I will share with the community, so look forward to that as well. And finally, before we get started, if you'd like to support the show, be sure to interact, like, share the episodes with um, new people so we can continue to grow the community. If you want to be interviewed or you want to hang out and chat, join our Discord server. And if you'd like to support the channel financially, check out any of the affiliate links in the description of the show. Um, It helps me out a little bit if you buy something through there, and then you get to add a new RPG book or whatever to your collection. So if you're interested in that, check out those links. Otherwise, let's get started. Welcome. I have Satya here with me uh, from Paris, I believe, correct? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So... Uh, welcome, excited to have you on, and why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. So um, so I started um, tabletop role-playing games actually a bit, a bit like eight years ago. Um, I think it's not in famous uh, abroad, but in France we have uh, a, an audio series that was quite infamous uh, like 10 or 15 years ago which was a parody of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, and uh, it actually got me started in tabletop role-playing games. So it was very much uh, parodic. Uh, there were uh, comedic situations and uh, it really uh, yeah, made it uh, a D&D, uh, tried to uh, approach it with every tropes and everything. So I got started with comedic tabletop role-playing games and after that, I tried to. So I found all the, all of the other games that existed. So I'm still trying to uh, test any new things now and then. Yeah. So what what system do you end up playing the most now? Um, nowadays, um, I I've used to play uh, a 
horror system, uh, which is actually called um, uh, Don't Rest Your Head. Uh, I can't remember uh, from who, um, but uh, it's an, a system where you have to manage different resources, uh, just like Sanity uh, in uh, Call of Tulu. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a bit more focused on individual horror, I guess. So uh, yeah, I played a bit of that uh, recently. And uh, also uh, homebrews uh, and rules. I've tried to play tests on my own. So yeah. And how many how many players do you have? Um, generally or uh, regularly? Uh, let's go regularly. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I would say uh, the regulars are about two or three. Um, and sometimes, and most of the times, I tr I try to um, make uh, people discover what a tabletop role-playing game is. So it could be one-to-one uh, -one sessions, and I just uh, we could just make up a story uh, with a particular system, or uh, I'd say three to four players. But uh, I I've tried for one shots uh, to go for uh, five players and one six. But um, I always feel like um, it's, it's much more uh, harder to uh, share, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, to share uh, and to balance. Uh, I would say the system, the game, but also uh, the, the the time in which they can speak and play. Actually, so yeah, that's why I try to uh, stay to uh, three to four uh, players. Um, and you mentioned that you you do have one-on-one -on -one sessions with people occasionally? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> it was because uh, I didn't have any more players. Uh, so uh, I've tried uh, a few more times to have one-on-one -on -one sessions. Uh, at first, it was much more to have, um, I would say, flashbacks uh, or uh, to build up more uh, consistent backgrounds for uh, players and characters. But actually, uh, because... Uh, because it was much more easier uh, to plan. So yeah, I've ended up making a bit more sessions on one-to-one -one and much more horror sessions on one-to-one. -one. Uh, so uh, yeah, I've experiment, experiment, experimented um, ways to make it uh, horror games more uh, personal, I would say. Do you find so, yeah. that the horror elements are easier to pull off when you just have one player? Yeah, yeah. Um, for multiple reasons. Uh, first, uh, I I would say um, um, it's much more easier uh, to also be aware of uh, emotional security because um, uh, before every game, I repeat that um, we are here to play, and even if we are here to play horror games. Um, uh, the events or the characters uh, should not um, make you uncomfortable, or at least um, uncomfortable. That will, uh, I would say, uh, make uh, you, make you after the game uh, not uh, not at ease. So um, it's much more easier to take into account emotional security when you're in one-to-one, but -one, also then to um, to try to reach. Uh, this, their limits to, to uh, approach what really um, interests uh, the, the people. So 
most of the time, uh, all the players have have the kind of the same personality and the same interest for what they are, uh, or the same goals in what they are uh, looking for in the game. But uh, once I've I've really felt that um, like two people were really involved in the story and were quite, I would say, not afraid, but at least uh, uncomfortable. But uh, like two others were just like, yeah, okay, we can, we, we don't mind. So um, <laughs> it kind of made it uh, a bit, uh, yeah, hard to balance. So I, I really liked uh, playing on one to one. Do you find any? Are there more challenges, or I guess what are the challenges of running a one v one game compared to running a game with more people? Um, I'd say the real challenge is uh, is to embrace much more silences, um, because. I would say when you're in a group, uh, you you're kind of um, interacting with more than one person, so uh, it's much I'd say it's much more easier to fill uh, silences or blanks. But when you're uh, just in front of one person and both of uh, and both of you uh, just uh, yeah play and make an interactive storytelling, um, you kind of uh, be, like. Sometimes there are just silences because you you, you didn't have time to uh, plan everything, for example, or there are improvisations. So it's much more um, uh, your your player notices uh, much more easier when you improvise or when you're uh, you're um, you're being a bit uh, lost in uh, how you improvise. So I guess um, I'm a bit I'm a bit nervous. And I really like to control and plan um, all of the things before uh, going into sessions. But um, yeah, the, the real challenge, but also the real uh, lesson from making a one-to-one session is like to, yeah, sometimes uh, things just add up. But because you're interacting, you're much more um, keen to uh, also listen to uh, the other player, I would say. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it, if it was clear. Yeah, you kind of you can really focus in on what that player kind of wants to do or what they're experiencing, yeah. versus yeah. spreading that out between the table. I do get what you're saying about the silences, though, because I think even when you have multiple players, if you're taking time to think and figure out what the next step is, sometimes the players will talk amongst themselves, right? While they're kind of yeah. waiting for you. So, but in this case, there's nobody else for the person to talk to besides you. So it would almost feel as though those moments are kind of drawn out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If I feel it, it, at first it was, uh, I would say a bit embarrassing, but the more I tried to make one-to-one sessions and the more I felt like it was natural to have silences and much more it could uh, make players um, experience in another way uh, the, the game. So, I don't know. I would say with with the horror genre specifically, um, pauses also probably would help to kind of reinforce the 
kind of the anticipation yeah. of the genre more so than maybe like an action style game would yeah actually yeah yeah of course because when i uh when i pause and when i make silences i always try to uh, make my comeback i would say uh, much more um surprising or uh, like my sense was um anticipated and was uh was uh, like i wanted it to i wanted to make a sense but sometimes i i just uh, yeah sometimes you just need some air or just five seconds pause and i tried to uh yeah to play with those silence and to and to um and to like i don't know like in games and even in action games um i like to to uh to uh to focuses uh, to focus on rhythm and to make um even if there are actions or uh, i don't know um confrontations fights i like to uh, make the ambience and the uh, tension build up and silences are really useful and i was very afraid of it before even in con <laughs> even in uh, natural conversation I'm, uh, I'm really afraid of silences but um yeah in in play and using it as i wouldn't say as a mechanic but as, at least as a storytelling tool it's really it's it can really be powerful even even outside horror games at least that's how i, I felt uh, when using silences i think that's a good way to look at it as just another tool um I know when I first started running games, that was one of my biggest um, nervous things too, is I was worried that as I'm thinking like, oh, okay, everybody's waiting for me to yeah. tell them what happens next. And it, it kind of puts you in a spotlight and it can be kind of scary the first couple times. And then as you play a couple more times, you realize like the silence doesn't really matter that much. Um, but then you're kind of taking it to the next level and then now not just not worrying about it, but actually trying to incorporate it and using those kind of natural breaking points to just further the storytelling aspect of the game. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned wanting to talk a little bit about storytelling, so I think that's a good segue. Um, let's talk about storytelling in games. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I want to, uh, so I've tried, uh, I've tried not that many games, but I've tried, uh, I've tried, um, indie games that have, that have, um, much more, uh, different, uh, storytelling methods and system. Uh, I haven't all, I haven't tried yet, uh, GM-less, um, game, but I was really interested in how uh, we can share uh, the storytelling and how everyone can be the GM at the same time or anything. But so, yeah, so far, uh, I, I really like uh, being a GM. But um, so storytelling, I've tried to, um, I've tried different approaches uh, during like my six, seven, eight years of, of playing. Um, I've actually played uh, Tales from the Loop. Um, which has um, which play in which players are uh, only playing scenes uh, and there are ellipses uh, between them and there are no 
there there is a continuity uh, between those between those scenes, but uh, it's approached much more like uh, a movie where uh, where like if there is nothing to talk about uh, between those scenes, let's just skip it and let's go to the other thing and like um, storytelling uh, feels that way not like your um, your the, uh, the voice of the world uh, your, your, your in, in which the characters are playing but much more as a, a filmmaker uh, because you um, because at first um, as a GM I, I wanted to um, to describe everything that was uh, for example in a room I would say yeah you see dirty corners with a bit of dust you see this uh, this rocking chair. I don't know. I would describe a lot of things, uh, and in a bit of uh, in in an exhaustive way. So I wanted to make everything um, to to give a, a, a detailed description to everything at first. But now I'm much more trying to uh, uh, emphasize uh, my my description, um, just like a, a filmmaker, like. Uh, it's I I I much more uh, uses uh, fear fears of mind uh, now, um, and just make a broad description. I would say of the room, but just like say, yeah, you you see in this very corner, uh, and the the lights is maybe a bit more. Uh, I would say, I don't know. You know the the ambience is much more darker or anything, and you you see a, a very specific spider that you. You think you have, yeah, you have seen it before. I don't know, but like kind of a zoom, and I, I just uh, make it very broad around it, and uh, I f I feel like the, the the description of the world and the storytelling is much more uh, have have much more rhythm and much more emphasis on what's important or not. Uh, like I don't know. I don't know if it, if it was clear. So I'll I'll just repeat it back to you just to make sure yeah. I've got it. I think I got it. So you you start with a broad stroke as to like maybe the general environment that you're in, like a like an old dusty room or something. But then, kind of each step of your description, you kind of zoom in on uh, more and more fine details, ending on a specific. Um, like entity, like you mentioned, the the spider as as being an important thing in the room, and is that kind yeah. of how you so you you start broad and then you get really narrow? Yeah, that could be it. Uh, that's just an example. I, I just see because uh, I'm I was interested for about maybe eight months. I tried to uh, uh, I tried to um, I don't know to uh, not analyze uh, movies, but I, I tried to have a uh, critical view when I see it about the light, the lightnings, uh, about colors, about zooms, about um, the way uh, in which angles uh, and in how it is filmed, and it's not much about making from a broad to narrow. It's much more about uh, just like as a, a game master, you're you're the filmmaker. You have the um, the camera and you decide what you show. It could be, you, you can show something very broad, you can show something in very specific details, you can show something that has 
distorted colors uh, or uh, that, that that is uh, I don't know uh, moving or dynamic I don't know so it, it's much more about um, focusing on impressions and on uh, yeah controlling uh, the, uh, the 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 storytelling so you I, re I, I think really what you're what you're trying to say is that you're so like you mentioned the camera analogy, you're really being very intentional with what you choose to show the players. Yeah. And depending on what you choose to show them, I mean, they could be in the same location, but depending on what angle you kind of shoot from, is yeah. they may get different impressions of the same place. Yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, because I, I really like um, how in movies, uh, what you don't see, uh, you 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 take for granted that what you don't see doesn't exist, but actually it does. And it, it it's my way of seeing um, how the characters and the players are involved in it because most of the time they're um, not frustrated, but they want more details about what they don't see, about what I don't describe, and it it makes it much more like um, I. At least I try. I try to make my players uh, interested in what is not seen on the camera, to to uh, yeah, to let them want uh, to uh, to think about what is outside of the uh, of the of my camera or what I'm focusing focusing on. And then, as they ask questions, then you can kind of move that camera around to show them the yeah. things that they're interested in. Yeah. And in, and actually in horror, uh, I've um, I've really liked uh, I've, yeah I really like not uh, turning that camera, just saying yeah there's something, but you don't know you don't know what you you, you can't say for sure, uh, and the the camera stays uh, in this in the, in the same position, and the players are aware that there is something, but there are uh, I don't know there are no ways to uh, turn or anything so I don't know. And um, yeah, so that's that's the way I try to approach. So I'm I'm a bit sorry if I don't explain it uh, much well in English. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, that's that's the way I try nowadays to approach um, storytelling. And the other thing I wanted to tell, much more easier, is um, I was uh, very um, I relied. Uh, uh, exclusively on visual um, descriptions at first, and as I said, exhaustive, uh, exhaustive visual descriptions. Like you see those chairs, you see those things, you see like. And nowadays, as I said, I tend to I tend to remove uh, some some details when I describe things, and I try to add uh, impressions um, to add uh, I don't know. Uh, temperature feeling or um, uh, smells or anything and the other thing I wanted to tell is um, how I try to um, share storytelling um, because um, I try to make my uh, players engage in the world in which they are playing and and I've tried to like just tell them yeah 
I, I bring you this broad description of a dark room with, which has dusty corners and everything. What are, what, are, um, what are your impressions? What do you think you're seeing? What do you think you're smelling? Um, and in that way, I always, uh, I, don't, I, I don't validate or invalidate what, they, what, what, the, what are the impressions of the uh, characters. But um, actually, uh, for horror games, uh, like the players just gave me ideas that way because they're like, oh, there must be something very terrible hiding in that corner or anything. Uh, and I, I, I think I, so the character just says uh, he has the impression of being, I don't know, um, observed from this dusty corner, just like there's something hiding, just tiny, but, uh, uh, but also dangerous. And um, letting the players just uh, bring the character's impressions that could be true or not um, makes the storytelling uh, and the experience uh, very different. Uh, yeah. So that's an interesting way to handle it because some, in some systems, they'll say, you know, in that same scenario, ask them a question and then whatever they tell you is is true about the world so yeah. you know in that case you would say i think there's you know a monster here or something and then you'd say yes there is it's exactly what you were afraid of but in but what you're saying is you're just saying what is the impression that your character has and yeah. they could be experiencing something but that may not necessarily actually be true right so they could go to that corner and pull a sheet up and there's nothing there, right? Yeah, yeah totally. And uh, and in horror, uh, because I really like psychological horror, and um, uh, most, not most of the time, but um, uh, I would say often uh, I try to, uh, to, like, I don't let the characters verify the, their hypothesis or their impressions. So, that could be true, that could be not true. Even I, as a game master, I don't know. And it's just the impression, and because they have felt or they had the impression of something was um, hiding in that dusty corner, and because, uh, I don't know, uh, the, the room uh, closes and they have to get out of here uh, the, uh, very quickly, they, they, they will never know if something was hiding or not. And so that gives so sometimes I validate or invalidate um, after the impression, but sometimes I also like to uh, just don't say anything. And and sometimes after the uh, the sessions or the the the, the tabletop role playing games, they when we debrief when we make debriefings, uh, they just say, "Oh, that moment was really not scary, but was really uncomfortable because they just." Um, because they just bring up their own imagination into the game and their own storytelling. And at least in horror, that makes it much more personal and much more um, appealing, and at the same time frightening in a way. So, yeah. And even, so in, and in those scenarios, even with the danger, maybe it's there, maybe it's not, and, and maybe even unspoken, the... Um, the the like you said the mind of the player just wondering and having some suspense about it and just not knowing 
yeah. probably can do more to the player than just telling them would. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think that's a, so, a, a so. pretty neat way to approach it, and I feel like thinking back on some of like the horror movies and TV shows that I've seen, they do often do that where they the characters are really adamant that something is in a certain place or something and then it's maybe not um but they but the characters don't know that and then you know sometimes the the camera will pan to something else that you know the audience sees as like okay there was danger here but um but the characters were maybe misled or whatever yeah and um actually um so um, I'm also uh, running uh, a campaign, uh, which is much more uh, adventure and everything. And um, I've tried to, uh, to test this storytelling tool, I would say. And um, it really worked uh, in a way. Uh, it wasn't to make it a personal horror, but to make personal experiences uh, for uh, characters. So as I said, uh, I tried to... Um, make rhythm and make the tension tension builds up but sometimes I like to make the tension just go down and during those moments um, for example there was uh, there was an explosion uh, in, uh, in the in the game and I just and I just said there is an, an explosion and during this uh, the states of um, of uh, confusion uh, you're trying to assess and you're trying to uh, eyes what what is the um, what is the, um, the, the 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 how how it is disrupted or what are the uh, what are destroyed or anything and uh, I just said you yeah you you can tell me uh, what's what what was destroyed and that can be that can be true that can be so or much more I I think I've asked um, uh, give me the impression of your character that uh, the the about the uh, their impression of danger, or uh, the impression of uh, insecurity, or I don't know. I I, th I think I, of this conversation at least. I think that that question, the what is your impression of this situation? I think I'm definitely going to steal that and start using that because, um, like you said, you can you can make it real, you can make it not real, you can no comment on it you don't have to validate it or yeah. invalidate it and then it also it, you kind of mentioned it earlier it also gives you new ideas right so the yeah. the players can start suggesting things that you can then weave into the story if you want to but you're also not committed to to using them either if they just aren't gonna fit yeah totally yeah, yeah. and uh yeah and i if at least uh, for now, um, I've um, from the uh, from what the players uh, with which I play, they they really like those moments uh, when I try to share uh, storytelling because there's like it's uh, they feel comfortable because all the stories set up all the scenario and uh, they can um, they are uh, they are in the story but also they have a bit of power just a tiny bit and yeah they, they uh, it just makes it more personal so much more like uh, when you're 
when you're reading a book on your um, looking at the movie adaptation um, when reading the book you, you had your idea of what the character looked like of what the uh, of what the um, I don't know so of what the uh, how the event uh, just was visually seeing or the others and everything and um, that gives I would say just a tiny bit of power to the um, audience or in our case in tabletop role-playing games uh, to the players and that makes it much more interactive uh, in the way of um, storytelling, I'd say. Do you think that having them give the impressions also helps them kind of get into character and um, role play a little bit as well as whatever character they're controlling? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if if it makes it. Uh, I don't know if it's a cause or I don't know if it's a consequence of being in, actually involved, or maybe a bit of both. Uh, I would say it it um, it makes them involved uh, in the role play, and at the same time, uh, the more they do it, and the more it's a consequence of being involved. So, at least that's how I feel. It's um, it's beneficial, and also, um, I uh, when before starting um, games, I always let my players aware that I will uh, that that I will let them describe some things. Uh, and during uh, this, uh, so before uh, going to the sessions, I ask, uh, does somebody, um, so is somebody uncomfortable uh, with describing their, their impression? Uh, and if so, uh, just tell me now or just tell me during the session and I, and I will just come up with uh, the, the, the impression your character have. So I, so, because some players, at least, um, I can think of one player uh, that was really involved in the game uh, and actually involved in his character, but uh, couldn't get uh, uh, couldn't get uh, into the uh, describing phase or describing tool because I don't know. I think it was it was uh, too much uh, effort for for them. I don't know. Yeah, and I that can happen. I've had um, some players who would rather um, just be a part of the story and yeah. and just maybe aren't comfortable coming up with details or don't feel like it's their place to come up with the details of certain things. Um, so I can see where you would potentially have players that just that's not quite what they want to do. I do think that when you're just asking for their impression, I think it takes a little bit of pressure off of them because what what they what their impression is doesn't have to be true, right? So they can say I I feel like this is happening and you can as the DM can be like, you know, that's not actually happening, but that doesn't invalidate what your character is experiencing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why most of the time I like I not, I don't say it most but often I really like not um, giving much more uh, information about this impression because I've actually have had an experience where uh, I've asked about the impression and I invalidated uh, just after that and the player was really frustrated and felt uh, not your and felt like uh, and felt like I was saying 
this is not your character's impression that's false. It's you as a player that is false in your storytelling. And that, 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 that was a bit... Uh, so I, I really learned from, the, from, uh, this, uh, from this time. Um, and so nowadays, I, uh, before uh, the sessions, I really uh, make my players aware but um, and and tell them um, when I invalidate uh, the impression, it's not uh, for you as a player. It's for your characters. It's for what they think they're seeing. And um, actually, uh, as I said, um, I really want to try out games where there is no game masters uh, and you and all the players just share uh, this role of storytelling to just try out and see how we can moderate storytelling, how, yeah. So I'm really curious about those games. Um, are you familiar with Iron Sworn? Because I know that one has a GM-less mode that you can play. Yeah, yeah and, and actually I wanted to uh, to play the uh, solo mode. Uh, so, uh, but there there's just too much uh, games out there. I um, just wanted to add about uh, this impression tool, storytelling tool. Um, at least in horror, or also in adventure, um, what I really like in horror is the fact that most, uh, like, in what um, when I read or or, or watch, there are, uh, I like to um, separate the the uh, the stories in which the characters in in which the plot is character focused. And, and the ones in which it is plot and scenario focused. And I really like those because most of the time characters or mortals or humans are just completely um, hopeless and, and, much, and much more and much more it's they are um, they can't even apprehend what's happening. So uh, so of course in the um, in the uh, Lovecraft novels, or short stories, uh, most of the time, the um, in the original uh, short stories, the um, the characters they they try to have a grasp on what's happening, but they just can't because it's just outside their reach, and because it's just so outside their reach, it's it makes that uh, feeling and that impression that um, uncomfortable because they always try to bring up theories and also to to make high, uh, to bring up theories about oh it's happening because of me because of something personal but actually it's absolutely um, it has nothing to do with the character and I like me it's it's I don't know if it's vicious or not but I like um, when my players feel that way I like when they see like okay there's a story okay my character is just hopeless. Without, they, they can they can have actions, but it it depends. I can have um, consequences on the plot, but all of the plot in the scenario does not only uh, depend on my character or on on my on the character uh, personally. Right. So the the story is kind of moving along with or without the players, yeah. essentially. Yeah. How do you handle prep? for your games? It really depends. Um, as I've said, I've, at first, I've played a lot of one-shots, 
and it was much more easier uh, to be exhaustive, uh, to be uh, to have all the descriptions um, prepared beforehand before the sessions, um, and all, and most of the time my one shots were in um, in a specific uh, locations, and the characters couldn't be uh, they, they couldn't get out of this. Uh, this location or they couldn't get in or anything so they were just restricted so it was much more easier to just have an exhaustive preparation just to write up or i don't write up uh, descriptions uh, entirely i just take notes and adjectives uh, so for example about the dusty corner corner uh, i wouldn't write sentences i would just write dusty and corner and I would just try to improvise, improvise on that. Uh, but you know, yeah, I, I would have a lot of adjectives. But nowadays, because I tend to have much more longer sessions and, and campaigns, uh, I, have the old, I have all the scenario uh, planned with guidelines, but... Um, because I rem because I try to re let myself remember that it's not only my story; it's also uh, the story of the characters, and the characters can have impacts. I just plan general guidelines, but uh, for the next sessions, have a little bit of more descriptions to have um, to have latitude uh, when when I when characters just make something. That I couldn't predict, but that is valuable, and that I want to make uh, to make yeah valuable uh, in the story. So I just accept it, and so next sessions I just have to uh, uh, to yeah to make to modify my guidelines. So and because it's really frustrating when you have all everything planned ahead, but the players just uh, break your scenario where when giving an idea in. I really don't like uh, just telling, oh no, this doesn't work, and just and without any explanation. So yeah, right. Just j because I didn't plan it isn't necessarily a good reason to tell them no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so light notes on kind of some descriptions and and depending on how like you mentioned how tight it is if it's super important that you have a bunch of things planned out or not or you know what the restrictions are otherwise you try to be try to let the players do as much as they can as creatively as they can and then just kind of modify your notes going forward yeah, yeah. For, for example um uh, like two days ago i've uh, i've uh, run a session where i i wanted uh, my players um, to look for a particular character, and I and I, I really like this character, and I wanted them to uh, to um, to to see this character because they haven't uh, seen uh, this character yet, and I and I, I've I've made several hints about her, but they they didn't they didn't want to uh, to meet her, so they just like no we we will go in a different. Um, direction so so I, I I could have just make uh, make up an explanation on just how they just have to go there but 
it's just like I've tried to uh, for this time I I tried to think of how important was this character for the scenario and the player's experience and I was just like no it's just because I like this character and I just want them to meet her but actually they can make it another way so I just accept it uh, even if it's a bit frustrating because I have prepared some things for uh, for this character but yeah she 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 will she will uh, she will get her uh, her her own scene and she, she will get there i hope <laughs> <laughs> so just be may not show up in the way that you planned but hopefully we'll get to reuse some of the characters yeah. and encounters and stuff yeah do you tend to play um more like social heavy games or combat heavy games um, definitely not combat heavy games uh, I don't know why I'd say uh, maybe because I haven't had the opportunity so I don't know I don't know if it's uh, something I shouldn't say but I've actually never played D&D so the original D&D <laughs> but um, uh, yeah uh, or actually for more uh, combat focused on more strategic games, uh, I I much more have played tabletop games or uh, video games alone uh, without role playing game. I don't know why. Uh, so yeah, I know why because it, it takes much more time, uh, much more preparation also. But uh, yeah, uh, so it's much more about interactions, but. Um, I always feel more um, at ease when I have at least a bit of a system um, to to make uh, uncertainty come up uh, during the during the game or during the storytelling. Um, and you mentioned that you were working on a tabletop role-playing game. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. Um, so um, I have um, I have a niche.io account. Uh, so all my project comes uh, under the um, the username uh, I have the Gates of Truth. And so yeah, uh, recently uh, for about um, I think it was two years ago, um, I've made uh, I don't know how I can call it, but I would say. Uh, Learning se uh, learning sessions or classes about game design, uh, tabletop uh, game design, uh, and I really liked it. Uh, it's actually um, uh, about it's really close to what I'm studying, and um, so yeah, during my free time, I've tried to play test some systems uh, just during my own time, and for about uh, six or seven months, I think now. I uh, I have published um, a, a few games uh, for game jams. Uh, so uh, and nowadays I'm working on three projects. Uh, so I can alternate when I when I feel uh, exhausted. <laughs> and uh, it's actually so I have two games uh, which is which is much more uh, social in in interactions and one game which has um, where I'm wanted to make um, a tabletop role-playing game with card game uh, mechanics. So just like Magic the Gathering, 
Okay, so you said that you you're making a tabletop role playing game, but it's got like card game mechanics in it. And how how far along is that one? One of your published ones? Uh, actually, so um, all my three projects uh, are uh, in are in early access. So I've published uh, the um, the playtest kits. So I'm actually running playtests, and um, so it's taking it's taking a little uh, a bit of time. So the systems are ready. And the system work, but uh, all the balancing needs um, needs uh, especially for the card game one uh, playtests uh, are really important. And actually, uh, I've made a playtest three days ago, which was really valuable because I've learned so much uh, from a player which uh, with which I've played. But uh, yeah, um, all of them are published. So um, to give a, a bit of uh, so. Presentation. So for the three projects, I have one uh, which is um, a tabletop inspired by um, Ace Attorney, which is a video game about uh, an attorney uh, where you are in court and you have to defend your client. Uh, so it has rules uh, and you're, uh, it, it's meant for three players. So one player will play the defense, uh, the other player will play, will play the prosecution. And the third player uh, will play uh, the judge, and so I have uh, a system where um, meant to be played for confrontations between defense and prosecution, and the judge also have attributes. So yeah, um, my second game is much more adventure uh, inspired by um, mangas and animes uh, such as Attack on Titan or anything. So it's much more adventure and something like that. Uh, and uh, so the last one, uh, which is uh, To the Gates of Truth, um, where you play uh, seekers uh, that are trying to reach the Gates of Truth, but for that uh, they have to um, they have to elevate the, their selves into an existential journey, and uh, and they are helped with entities. And so yeah, you play those seekers along this journey. Uh, and it has um, card game mechanics, and also. Um, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it's ha it has um, a roguelike uh, architecture. Sure. Yep. Where you kind of you can play a session and then kind of re you kind of restart. It's actually where whenever you make a session, it will be different from the last one. And I've I I, I have um, I have this system where um, the location in which you begin as a seeker is different uh, from the last session uh, because there are ways to um, to die or to uh, to lose your uh, to to fail your um, journey to the gates of truth. So you just have to come back to the beginning with another character or with the same character. But uh, each time you make an attempt, uh, it will be different uh, with different entities. Um, actually, for a bit more um, description, so uh, each uh, each entity has a celestial island uh, in which they um, they welcome seekers. But um, the order, uh, so I have eight different uh, celestial islands uh, which are designed. 
but uh, during a session only three of them will be uh, will be seen and so uh, between two players or two groups the experience will be different and to each um, celestial island there will be uh, proper cards uh, so cards uh, are powers passes weapons and also enemies uh, so yeah, and each celestial island has their own gameplay mechanics. And can this be played solo? <laughs> Actually, uh, we've I've tried to make it solo, uh, and it could be. It 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 can definitely be, um, uh, because the enemies uh, have uh, strategies, and so so you know. Uh, so the characters, the players, know how the en the enemies are going to behave themselves. So uh, I haven't already tried, but in the way I've designed it, uh, it's actually uh, being... Uh, so a friend of mine is actually developing uh, a kind of video game of the system. But uh, uh, I, I've tried to design it as, it as it can be played solo, yeah. Yeah, it sounds really cool, and I'm a sucker for card games, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah I will cool. definitely have to check that out. Um, and you said the... the Is there a... There's a playtest kit of this one? Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, the playtest is not updated, because... Um, so, for all the the, uh, the things I have modified uh, from the last uh, playtest from three days ago. But, so, yeah. A playtest of the um, of the original system is actually uh, available, um, and so actually it's my first game. I wanted it to make uh, as a paid as a paid project, but all my games uh, can be. Um, I have uh, on each you can each.io you can make uh, community copies available. So if and if someone doesn't want to pay or can't pay. Uh, they can just take the, uh, the the game, try it, and come back later if they uh, loved uh, if they love the experience or just want to share uh, their experience. Sure. So yeah, it's easy for people to test it out and then see if they um, yeah, yeah. basically want to get the full product. And I suppose since you're just in playtesting now, you probably don't have a, a full product ready to go yet, or like a completed okay. like people probably can't purchase it yet. Uh, they can uh, because um, the dif uh, th there is no difference between the free version and the paid version. Ah, got it. So it, it's just like if someone can't afford it, uh, I've so I've just decided that yeah, um, I I didn't want it to make to make them um, yeah uh, just if you can't afford it but just interesting you you can get the it's absolutely the same game uh, between the between the, the two versions. Sure. But, but uh, of course, uh, um, when I update the game, uh, the, those two versions will be updated. And then is it just like the, I assume it's like print and play, so you get like a PDF of everything and then you can just print that out on your own? Yeah, for now, yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've set up, um, I've set up um, remote playtests on a website which is called Playingcards.io, which is much more, which is just a tabletop simulator, uh, and I've uploaded it, and I've uploaded all uh, the, the 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 cards that are already designed, 
and uh, I've made this um, file because you can export a file from this website and I've shared this file so everyone can play test with this same um, with this same file of, uh... and then I guess the next question um, is the game in French or English or both <laughs> no yeah it's it's actually in English uh, but uh, I'm <laughs> It's really difficult because um, actually, I, at first, I have designed uh, the game uh, like the effects of the cards in French. But no, everything on the H.io page is in English. And with my friend, which is also French, um, we are uh, we have decided to for the first version to um, write in English because it's much more easier to have playtests and yeah, feedbacks. Sure, that's probably. I don't know if it's just due to population or or whatever, but there, I assume it's, it may be somewhat limiting if you're only doing it in the French language versus doing it in the the English language. Yeah, I, I don't know. It really depends. I, I have published um, uh, a game in France, uh, in French. Sorry, uh, it really depends because um, I just I haven't got the opportunity to reach out uh, the uh, tabletop role-playing uh, community in France. Uh, so yeah, thanks to the internet, I'm much more, I have much more um, uh, contact uh, with, uh, with players uh, abroad, yeah. Cool. Well, I, I will definitely check that out and there will be a link. Um... To the to your itch.io uh, page for sure in the show notes, so anybody listening can go ahead and check that out. Um, I had a great time having you on and chatting with you today. So um, I hope that your card game uh, you get more playtest feedback and well, yeah. all of your all of your products, um, and I hope that you are successful with those because they sound like pretty fun projects to be working on. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for having me and yeah, for this interview. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.